After a five-month break, the Fit for Golf podcast is back, and I hope to bring you more frequent episodes. In today's episode, I talk with Greg Lehman, who is a trained chiropractor, physical therapist, and strength and conditioning coach. Greg is a very keen golfer and has also done some of his research studies in golf. We talk about the differences and similarities between chiropractors and physical therapists, common misunderstandings, good versus bad practice, and things to look out for with a practitioner if you're in need of one. We also delve into whether swing mechanics can predict the likelihood of injury, the science of stretching, and why most things touted as improving recovery really don't do much. Just before we get started, I want to let everyone know of a promotion that is currently running on the Fit for Golf app. You can try the app for $1 for one month by using the discount code TRYFFG, that is T-R-Y-F-F-G. Go to fitforgolf.app to sign up and take advantage of this offer. There are home and gym workout programs suitable for all levels of fitness and golf skill. Greg Lehman, thank you very much for joining me on the Fit for Golf podcast. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm awesome. Thanks. Greg, I've been following you for a long time on social media now, and you were someone who I wanted to talk to. Would you mind please filling us in on your educational and professional background? Sure. Uh, I've been in the field forever now. So I have an undergrad in kinesiology, and then I did a master's in spine biomechanics as a researcher for a while. Uh, I do have a, actually, I think my first publication was uh, on a case study of a golfer, a golfer's uh, spine biomechanics when they had low back pain. Uh, and I used to be a strength and conditioning coach, so I have a few papers on strength and conditioning for golf as well. They're really old. Uh, and then I went to chiropractic school, and I got, I have that designation, and then I went back to school for uh, physical therapy. <laughs> so I'm in practice, and I travel the world uh, teaching. So at the moment, are you still practicing as a chiropractor and a physical therapist and a strength and conditioning coach, or what are you doing more so? So I let my chiro license expire uh, because it was just too expensive to maintain, and you don't need two licenses. So anything I can do as a chiro, I can do as a physio. So I just maintain my, my physio license. And then strength and conditioning. I mean, you, you don't have to. I didn't. I don't maintain that license. That's just throwing away money. <laughs> okay. So in terms of your, let's say, week-to-week work, I know you travel a lot giving conferences and things like that, but your day-to-day, do you have a yeah. clinic set up where you're seeing people in person? Or? I, I do. My clinic, I used to work out of very formal clinics in Toronto here, and now we moved, and I made sure I bought a house that had like a big room slash gym, and so I put a clinic uh, in our house kind of like attached to our house so i I see patients twice a week yeah like two days excellent um when you were practicing as a chiropractor what made you interested to go back and get your physical therapy masters yeah so this will surprise people um that it was purely this is horrible actually but it was purely for expediency it was just, uh, you just have way more opportunities as a physio. Uh, just, you can get jobs, like I could pack up and leave and go anywhere in the world and get a job, no problem at all. It's just an easier road. I learned nothing at, uh, in physio school. 
because my chiro training was so comprehensive. Chiro training was four years in Toronto. Uh, professors were great, and physio was only uh, two years. And I just I worked full time, and I went to school full time. It was just e- easy. So uh, that's it. Period. Like no no ideology. It was just expediency, and I don't regret it. It was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> okay. Um... So I think for listeners, something that they would definitely be interested in, it's something that I try to answer questions a lot on, but it's it's not my area of expertise as such, is what are the exact differences between someone who is trained and qualified as a chiropractor versus a physical therapist? So if, if, if you're just dealing in with MSK, like musculoskeletal problems, there shouldn't be any difference that you, you should be seeing a person because like it's the, it's the person who you want being your healthcare provider. So it could be a chiropractor, an osteopath, a physio, a physical therapist, a a myotherapist, a napropath. If you're in Sweden, like uh, it should be the person. So everyone should be trying to be up to date and being consistent with the evidence. So a good physical therapist should look the same as a good chiropractor. So like, uh, however, in practice, in general, though, it, you, if you showed up the, at your average chiro in Toronto, they would probably do more manual therapy and back manipulation or something like that, spine manipulation. And if you showed up at your average physical therapist, it would probably be more passive modalities or exercise or something like that. But again, it, the, the best of the best should look the same because because physios can do spine manipulation and, and just like chiros can so there's nothing there's it's not like there's one thing that one profession can do that the other one can't okay yeah that's that's really helpful that's not something that i think i was a hundred percent up to speed on you touched on it a little bit how different would you say in general it is if people go to see chiropractors versus go to see physical therapists in terms of the approach that would be taken and I guess what maybe someone's treatment and rehab plan would be with one versus the other. I appreciate that's hard to specify. So it's so broad. And when I've worked in big clinics before, it really is hard to tell the difference. It's hard to tell the difference between the two. In general, though, if you go to a chiropractor, you're almost guaranteed to get some manual therapy, I would say. It's spine manipulation or some sort of soft tissue massage or something like that. And you'll probably get advice on exercise and load management and, and, and things like that in, in, with, with the good ones. Um, where the physio, physio, you would be less likely to get manual therapy, but there'd still be tons of physios who would do manual therapy. And you'd probably be more likely to get, you know, uh, exercise-based interventions would be the idea. But honestly, the the overlap is uh, is huge. It's it's really the person. And then on the extremes, now I'm going to be a bit negative here. You're much more likely to find someone horrible (laughs) in in the chiropractic world, or if you just you know randomly showed up at someone's clinic, you 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 could find some really bad stuff. I was a little disillusioned with. A big chunk of the profession, and and you'd be unlikely to find someone who's really horrible uh, in the physio world. <laughs> so, why do you think that's the case? There, there's a lot of like 
uh, Kairos who are really just in it for the money. Their goal is maybe to see 500 to 1,000 people in a week. Uh, it, it, everyone gets the same treatment. It's all backcracking where they spend five minutes with you and they'll just fly through everyone. And there's a lot of like um, scare uh, tactics and fear mongering that their spine is falling apart and degenerating unless they get chiropractic from a young age or at any age, then they'll be in trouble. So there, there's a huge proportion of the profession that's pretty dodgy and you'd be much less likely to see that in the physio world. <laughs> if there is so much crossover in terms of what's learned in physio school and chiropractor school, why is there different <laughs> schools? There, there's been talk of that through the years. Like why? Yeah, there. It's just inertia. Uh, a lot of the schools, especially in the United States, they're there to make money. Like it's uh, and it's people's employment. So you you could really argue that uh, you know if if if, a, if the chiropractic profession ceased to exist, it, the world would be okay. Right, it would be taken up by physios, the good ones. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, this uh, I I appreciate this can lead to its own problems. A lot of I don't want to say the information, but a lot of the questions that come to surface for me on the differences between physio and chiropractic are from reading different things on social media, and not that they're threads where people are kind of arguing i think they're people who are you know genuine are, who are genuine and are actually trying to you know make progress with their understanding yeah. or their own work but for and not that's why i'm kind of surprised with how you started the uh, chat here by saying there's so much crossover because when i'm reading different things often it seems that like the two professions are at odds with each other it seems that there's things that physios say that chiropractors do that have no evidence that chiropractors strongly, you know, um, I guess, rebute and maybe vice versa. So if we go in terms of scientific evidence or support, is there things that are commonly done in each profession that don't have much scientific merit? Oh, absolutely. So, but again, it would be so for in the chiro profession, the good people wouldn't be doing the unscientific stuff. But then there'd be a huge proportion of the profession that, to me, would be questionable. They would be the traditional chiropractor from 100 years ago who believes that you, in order for someone to be healthy, you need to remove the nerve interference at the level of their spine. And they call that a subluxation. So that, and, and you know, that would, if you, if you cracked a back or you know, manipulate the spine, you would improve liver function and immune function and all of these things. So people don't need vaccines. So that that would be the horrible part of the profession that a huge proportion of chiropractors would rebuke and be absolutely against that. But there's still a large chunk of the profession that, that does it. So if you're a physio and that's the type of chiro that you're railing against, you have a fantastic case to, to against them would, would be the idea. Yeah. So would that be one of the big things and the differences in education then that 
our our Cairo has been taught this stuff this stuff in schools that isn't supported by science it, and why it so it depends on the school. So in Canada in Toronto at the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College where I went and where I also taught, they don't teach that stuff. They uh, they are good like uh, critical thinkers and, and in fact in the MSK world they were ahead of the physio profession. They were. Uh, they challenged a lot of the dogma in the manual therapy world. Like you could go to a physio, and I've still seen this. I was on a, a, a panel the other day where the physios were saying, your SI joint is out of place. It's in the wrong position. We need to, the physio said this, you need to manipulate it to get it in the right position and it's stuck, blah, 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 blah. Um, that is not an evidence-based statement. And at the chiropractic college, we were not teaching that idea. That was 20 years ago. And so you would have physios who are uh, saying these things. And I was, they tried to teach that to me when I went back to physio school. I'm like, you, you guys can't do this. You're not, you're not putting a, a bone in its right position or causing it to, to move better. My master's was in spine manipulation as well, very long ago. So uh, but both professions are doing some things that aren't evidence-based, and, but, but it's not just the Cairo, believe it or not. It depends on the school. Some schools in the States are horrible. <laughs> okay, so I'd like to stay on this topic just a second, and then I'll ask you a little bit more about physios. But what you touched on there, spinal manipulation is something that I think the lay person talks about a lot. I can't tell you how many emails right. I've gotten over the last seven or eight years, and they say, oh, like, Mike, I go to the Cairo whatever, once a week or once every two weeks because he essentially cracks me back into alignment. Yeah. Like my hips get out of line or my spine gets out of line and I get cracked into place. Or, you know, they, they, they have an injury come on more of a sudden onset where they move in a particular way doing something. They feel a pain in their back. They go to the Cairo and they tell them, oh yeah, like your whatever T8 or L4 is out. We're going to manipulate it. So what is the scientific basis for that? What is happening versus what people claim they are doing? Yeah. Um, so physio does the same thing. So the spine manipulation and the whole theory behind it has been uh, uh, very unsupported through the years. So what's happening is, it, this is all you can say. If you have low back pain, trying spine manipulation is absolutely worthwhile. It, it can it can help with some low back pain sometimes in, in some people, uh, and both professions can do that. Where it falls apart, and this was my thesis, this is 25 years now, where it falls apart is we probably, we aren't putting uh, bones back into place or joints in the right position. These things really aren't happening. You can't, you can't palpate a segment of the spine and say, oh, T6 is stuck on T7. It's, not, it's tilted to the left and it should be moving to whatever. It, you, you can't do that. The body doesn't work that way. So most of the theories behind what spine manipulation does uh, are unsupported. Uh, and neither profession should be saying that this joint is stuck and out of place and we're putting it back into place, although both professions say those things. All they can say is, your back hurts. Would you like to try spine manipulation? It's safe for us to try. Let's give it a crack. And then that, some people will love it. No, no pun intended. Not initially, but, but now I meant it. <laughs> um, 
that was something I was going to ask. Is it is it is spinal manipulation safe? And what about different parts of the spine? So it, it is relatively safe. Certainly, the thorax, like the thoracic spine and the lumbar spine, where where it becomes more murky is when you get into the cervical spine, right? Um, and we were taught it was maybe one in a million chance of someone having a stroke. It might be higher than that. A lot of the more research, uh, recent research that has come out has argued that what's happening, what could be happening when someone manipulates the neck and it's associated with the stroke at the time is that that person may have already been having a stroke. Uh, and the therapist, both chiro and physio, didn't pick it up. And so it looks like mm. the manipulation caused the stroke, but they were actually, that's why they came in with neck pain is because they already had a tear in their artery. But that, that is a huge can of worms. Um, the science there is un, unclear, uh, but there's been a, a few papers, again, over the last 20 years that's argued that it's just correlated. Because some, some old research would say it, you, the people who have these arterial dissections, they are more likely to have seen their chiropractor around the time, within seven days of them having the stroke. But then, oddly enough, they're also more likely to have seen their medical doctor. And no one would say that the medical, medical doctor caused mm -hmm. that stroke. And so there's these case control studies where they're like, oh, it's, maybe it's just a correlation. It's not causing. But it's not causation. But to me, I don't manipulate the neck anymore. I used to. And I used to have my neck manipulated because I wanted people to practice on me. Um, because... Even if there is an infinitesimal, like a very tiny, tiny chance of stroke, I, there's no reason for me to do it because there's so many other treatments that you could do that that wouldn't be associated with the risk. So, but sorry, I didn't answer that very strongly. For no, people. no, that's, I apologize. That, that, no, that's that's excellent. I just wanted people to have that frame of reference because I think so many people have an idea in their head that something's out of place it can be maneuvered back into place problem solved you know that that is something that i think a lot of people maybe even listening believe you know um what about i think this happens more in the physio world um is manual therapy what our our, our massage yeah. so what, what what's the evidence on this like again it's very common for people to go to I know it's very common for people to have this when they go to physios. You mentioned it's also common with chiros, but they go with an injury and essentially there's a lot of rubbing yeah. of the area for want of a better word. So what do, I'm just going to say practitioners claim that this is doing? Is that accurate? And and what actually might be happening? So I did a, a lot of chiros in Canada would do something called active release technique or different you know, soft tissue manual therapy interventions. And the theories through the years, you know, they would always talk about fascia. And the, the concept was sort of that um, soft tissue would get stuck to one another, like, a, like muscles should slide uh, or fascia should be sliding. Or people would talk about adhesions, so something stuck or like a knot or some sort of scar tissue. And so the, the theories through the years... I've all, always sort of centered around like you're releasing something, something stuck and you're making it move better. That is probably not happening. <laughs> Again, same idea. However, it will 
help people move differently. It, it can certainly help increase range of motion and it can certainly help uh, uh, with pain, right? So it's almost like assisted stretching with your hands on someone and then your hands are giving this feedback to push a tissue a little farther. You know, that, so that's the main theories. I used to think for a while, like I would press really hard on a tendon or a ligament or a muscle and think, Maybe I'm catalyzing some tissue change via like mechanotransduction as if they're strength training. And some people still sell that idea to their patients or in courses. I don't think it's really happening, but um, I would say it's, again, it's one of those things where the, the things we say probably aren't happening, but it's still helpful for people. <laughs> yeah. Is that essentially the same thing as foam rolling or using lacrosse balls or something like that to dig into areas where exactly you know that's it yeah because that is something again like you it's one of those things that you you read what some people claim is happening from doing this and you're like well there's no evidence and i i don't believe you (laughs) but i i but but i but i do appreciate yeah i've tried this in certain cases before and i definitely talk to people who are like oh no like this this definitely helps me and i think that gray area can be tough it's like yeah we don't have or maybe we don't have science to support this or we don't know the exact mechanisms but if you're finding when you know you spend 60 seconds with your gluten on a lacrosse ball that your hip rotation is improved and then you feel like your golf swing is better well I, I can't tell you not to do that or that it doesn't work. Yeah. That, that's, I think that's the approach that we should be taking here. It's like accepting our ignorance, but still looking at how we can be pragmatic. But we, we, we just wouldn't say everyone must foam roll. You have to do this to fix your mm-hmm. tissue health and all those things. That's where that's where everyone's yeah. too where, strong. Which used to be propagated oh, a lot, yeah. I think, <laughs> kind of going back a few years. So my, I guess, bias as a strength and conditioning coach or a trainer and not having any education in PT or chiropractic, I always edge towards thinking when different, uh, let's say, treatment modalities are talked about, something I'm always questioning is, can this exact same thing just be accomplished with moving, with with exercises? Yeah, I, I would tend to think so. I think we have tons of options, you know. Uh, absolutely like you could you could for your uh listeners who have like knee osteoarthritis or something like that uh like there will be people who love manual therapy and makes their knee feel better and they feel like they can perform better and they have less pain but at the same time uh exercise would also be a great option for anyone with osteoarthritis so we 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 have options here for the lazy amongst us who don't want to exercise then go ahead and rub it (laughs) Yeah, I what I'm thinking here as well, and it, it goes back to, I'm not saying this is the only reason it happens, but going back to like the financial element yeah. of things, exercise is free. Yeah. So oh. <laughs> one of the things I'm always like is, all right, you're, I'm just making up an example here, but let's say your back is sore. Okay, might massage help? Yes. Might um, a manipulation help? Yes might doing like a five minute workout yep. help Absolutely. and i know from following you and others the exercises you do mightn't even be important which was kind of a tough one to take <laughs> you know for me as, as a as a trainer you know who's always trying to think now i still 
do tend to try and think about which exercises might help more. Um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting balance. I think it's like you might not have to go for you know a thirty or sixty minute massage if you're whatever is acting up. You might be able to get the same relief from five minutes of doing some exercises yeah. or one minute of doing some exercises. Go for a hard walk or go swing yeah. a golf club. Like do yeah, it's just do yeah. your do your warm up on the range. Yeah, which I think is something that people who kind of don't work or aren't, you know, I guess researching or reading in, in this space, they might, might not appreciate that at all. They think that, you know, like ex exercises to get fitter or stronger for when you're feeling good. But if I'm feeling bad, I need, I need treatment. Like I need somebody to do something to yeah. fix it. Yeah. It's changing, but <laughs> No, that's, that's great. That's, that's really good info. We, we knocked off quite a few of where my questions were there. Um, this one might be, might be a little bit vague, uh, but I, I would just based on what we've talked on, but I would like to get your thoughts on it. Most of the injuries that golfers struggle with are soft tissue injuries, things that flare up when they come back from an off season, or if they play a little bit more golf than they're used to, or the surface changes, they go hitting off mats versus grass. What are some of the big issues you see in diagnosis and rehabilitation of these types of injuries? So this is what's great with a lot of this stuff. When you're a clinician, the, the first thing you want to do is just make sure that's not something sinister, right? It's not cancer, you know, th things like that. It has to be a golf-related pain mm -hmm. problem. That, that's what you want to figure out. And then once you've done that, and then, and then you also want to make sure it's not, say, like a stress fracture. But I, you wouldn't really see that in, in golfers. So it can't be some, something like that. So at, once you've done that, it doesn't matter what it is. It can be a tendinopathy. It can be a bursal pathology. It can be a muscle strain. I, it, you don't really need to be that specific to, to, be, to help people with these pain problems. Because really, all, most rehab and a lot of clinicians either hate this phrase or they love it is like you just calm shit down and you build shit back up that's that's all we do like there, there's a point where you back off a little you, you maybe maybe you're not going to hit your driver that day but you still get out on the on the course right you just drop your ball at the 150 yard marker or something like that you don't go through two buckets of balls in your warm-up you just hit your wedges you know what i mean like you just yeah, and, and then you slowly progress the loading. And sometimes you can do that with just your golf load management, or you could do that with specific exercises that just train the whole system comprehensively. Right? So it's, it's great sometimes when you practice in this space. We're not like surgeons what? where you got to cut off the right leg. <laughs> Why might complete rest when you have something flare up be an issue? Yeah, I... Or complete rest for too long. I just, you, well, one, because you, you can, you can absolutely take three days off. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. We're, we're not that fragile, but you, what, what's a better message is you don't have to. There's usually ways to work around it. Right. And, and then the problem is when people do do like complete rest, they feel better quite quickly, like say in a week or so, but then they jump right back into where they were before and said, that's the problem with golf. We play 18 holes. We don't play seven and a half and then nine. Or hit a hundred golf yeah, balls in an hour yeah. is another, yeah. I would say even more 
bigger problem sometimes for people. Yep. Buy the small bucket and chip half of them. Uh, like that, that, that's, that's what you have to do. And so that it's, it's, it's just a load management issue for the most part, because it's, it's golf. You just get excited. That's something that I think I see as common is that people understand the, to use your phrase, calm shit down part where my shoulder is sore when I'm playing golf. So I'm going to stop playing golf from a little bit, but then they skip the build shit back up part Mm -hmm. and they haven't improved let's say the the condition or the tolerance of their shoulder and they jump right back into what they were doing. And then it's a cycle of, they go back to the activity they were doing, the issue flares up again and there's nothing really that changes to allow their shoulder be better able to manage the stress they're putting on. Yeah. That's pretty classic. It's that's every sport. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where like the, the good rehab side of things can come in and where maybe doing things on top of just resting and just, just trying to modify it by golf or practice load can be helpful in, in my experience, I think. Sounds good. Um, this is one that I was really, really interested to get your thoughts on. It's become, I think more and more prevalent when a professional golfer is injured it's quite common for TV analysts or golf instructors to break down the player's swing mechanics and point to reasons why they might have picked up the injury. Can you discuss the relationship between technique or mechanics and injury? Uh, yeah, I used to be really into this like 20 years ago. That's where I thought it peaked. Um, just we, it's a very difficult area and, and the, the analyst shouldn't be saying that because they're just looking at what are called kinematics, which is how you move. Right. And, and, and what you really need, if, if, if you wanted to treat the body so mechanically, you need like a full model of the spine or the shoulder, and you would need to parse out where all the stresses are on it. Cause just, just, just how, how someone moves doesn't tell you what's happening internally, like the load on the disc or a ligament or a muscle or something like that. And that, that would be the first step. But then the other side of that equation, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to guess where is there more stress on the body. And then they kind of view the body like a bridge or a car. And they think, oh, if there's a lot of stress here, no wonder the person hurts. That tissue is failing and breaking down. That's a very old mechanical view of how pain occurs. Um, the problem with that is just because you know that there's, even if you could guess how much stress there is at every segment in the spine or whatever, you don't know what that tissue's tolerance is. Because if they've loaded it that way their whole life, then that tissue will be stronger. And so if, if you're viewing things very mechanically, you can't just know the load, you have to know the, the load tolerance of that, of that tissue. And then to throw another wrench into that, <laughs> most, most injuries aren't injuries, meaning it's not like the tissue is broken down. It's it's pain, and once you deal with pain, you're dealing with uh, everything in the world that can influence how sensitive your whole nervous system is, right? It could be your immune response. That's why you have more pain when you're sick. It, you're not sleeping well. You're stressed out, right? Like you know, Ricky Fowler, even though he just won, he's I bet he's had more pain the past four years because of the stress that he's under, and he could have less tissue loads. You know, because he's mm. missing more cuts <laughs> because 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Because he, he, he can be more painful and he's not sleeping well because he has a new baby and all these things. Right. So it's it's way too complicated for any analyst to be like, oh, no wonder his back hurts because uh, he does this thing at the end of his swing where he arches his back. And I think that's bad for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And I think a common viewpoint that people miss that you did touch on there is they they look at the the movement or part of the movement and they say, oh, that, that might be fine now, but it's not going to hold up another five or 10 years. And they, like you talked about it being a, a bridge or a piece of wood yeah, or yeah. metal, they forget that our tissues adapt to stress. Mm-hmm. So if they've been putting their body under, if they've been using that type of movement for decades, their tissues have adapted to that stress and they continue to adapt. It's not a case of they're given, let's say, a hundred points for this part of their body. (laughs) And over time, all they're doing is just wearing down that number of goodie points they have left. And when they do, it's worn out and it's injury. But that is is the type of talk that you hear. It's like, unlike his... Like really common ones in golf are you see someone who like is quite aggressive through their lead leg towards impact. And people talk about snapping that lead leg, like his knee isn't going to hold up. Or another one is a lot of side bend through impact. Yeah. They say there's no way his lower back can sustain that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 a, it's an ecosystem. That's how you want to view the body. It adapts. And it's influenced by all these things uh, in our life. Yeah, it, it's odd. Where, where people get in more trouble is if they see someone and they're worried about their swing and then they make some drastic change. And now your tissues wouldn't be prepared potentially for that new swing that you have. Like that's the issue. It's just doing too much too soon too quickly. Right? So there's not one inherent swing flaw that are, is going to predispose people to, to pain. It's just too simplistic. Yeah. Do you think there is like ranges of motion in particular movements that might make it way more likely? Is is there like if a golfer came to you with issues, would you want to see him swing either in person or on video? I know like 3D would be nice. Or would you be more of the case of no, I'd much rather just deal with looking at this as a global loading thing. I don't want to talk about changing your swing until essentially we try the other things you just you just yeah talked about. The, it, exactly. And I work with a lot of runners, and we do the the same thing. There's no one right way to run. What's more important is that you've built up yourself and optimized your system to handle the stressors of of playing golf, and that's it's always a load management thing or. You know, like the, a good example of that. The only reason I'm, I might look at, at someone swinging, I have like a swing fan in my clinic, uh, is uh, like it, it, some, some people, like I swing hard when I play. I, I, don't, I don't pull back at all. That's, that's how I get my rhythm. And say someone else does that. But when they're on the range or when they're practicing, they never swing hard. And so they kind of save it for when they play twice a week. That would be an issue because you're not prepared. You haven't built yourself up to swing hard. So that's, that's why I would look at like, show me how you swing on the range and show me how you swing when you're, when you're hitting balls. And like, if you're not regularly doing speed training or swinging hard, how are you going to tolerate it when you're on 17? 
that's the that's the the analogy I, that came to mind. There is the the parent pulling the hamstring in the in the parents' day at the school sports yeah. when there's a sixty meter dash and they try and sprint for the first time in four years. Exactly, and uh, the hamstring pulls. It's it's like that with with the golf swing. If you're not prepared for the demands you're putting on it, that's where the trouble runs into more so than how you're swinging. Yeah, like I ran, I run, and I'll run thirty to forty k a week. Uh, and I'll even do speed work, not sprinting, but fast 400 meters and stuff. And then I joined a old man softball league uh, last year and I tore five muscles because <laughs> my running did not prepare me to sprint and to cut and to dive and do all the things I thought I could do 30 years ago. And so I was a mess because you just you think you can handle these yeah. things. No, you got to be specific to what you want to do. Yeah, that's that's a really good point as well for why the term like fitness or being in shape doesn't really no. tell us what we need to know about like in shape or fit for what, yeah. basically. Um, the last topic I'd like to get into, Greg, is stretching. In general, golfers love stretching. They ask about it all the time. I think they tend to value it quite highly. I don't think many people have a good understanding of what stretching does and doesn't do. Can you dig into that a little bit for us, please? Yeah. Um, so stretching got a bad reputation that was undeserved. And I was part of that. So 20 years ago, we actually did a research paper because people were coming out at the time with work showing if you stretched a lot, like over a minute, peak performance would decrease, you know, three or four percent. So we'd try to do this in, po- in power movements. Yeah. Right? Like jumps or something like yeah, that yeah we tried to do this with the golf swing so we measured spine spinal rotation velocity and acceleration as well as range of motion and then we had people swing as hard as they could with a seven iron into a net uh i think it was at Glen abbey golf course we did this it was a long time ago and then i stretched the hell out of them like for over two minutes you wouldn't even do a stretch like that we're really biasing the study and I wanted to see if the power decreased, if the acceleration and velocity of the spine decreased. And it didn't. <laughs> we only had eight people. We didn't end up publishing it. Because at the time, everyone talked about how horrible stretching was. And what we kind of realized is for complex tasks, stretching isn't really that bad. Everyone, a lot of people hated stretching for a while. So it, it doesn't really seem to change your, your power or anything like that. It might change your vertical jump. Was that in the context of warming up where you say people hated stretching for a long time or more Cl- as a modality, say spread out clinicians during the clinicians week? who thought they were like cutting edge would make themselves stand apart by saying, don't stretch, do what, do other things, you know? And so people really railed against it because it was such a common thing because the other side was people, everyone would say you must stretch or you're going to get injured. And that's not a supported statement as well. So like everything, we just became way too polarized. <laughs> you had people saying like me, don't ever stretch. It's the worst thing you could do. But then everyone would make fun of me when I was golfing with them because I'd be stretching the whole time. And then <laughs> and then, then there'd be people like, you must stretch. And if you don't stretch, you're going to get injured. And that neither of those things are, are accurate, right? So if you want to stretch, go for it. It will increase your mobility. But it's not the and it won't really change your stiffness, but uh, it, it's not the only way to increase your mobility. It's one option. So if you don't really like it and you'd rather strength train through a full range of motion, you could do that as well to improve your mobility and, and power and all those things. 
Is that, is that, is that what you're looking for? Wondering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, or or if I you just... don't want to stretch as part of your warm up, you don't have to. You can go through your bag and hit your full bag when you're doing a proper warm up. Do you, uh, you know, tr- train through the full range of motion when you're swinging? Yeah. Or stretch if you want. <laughs> Sorry, such strong opinion. Is there, no, no. Perfect. Is there anything on how static stretching, i.e., holding a certain position for a certain period of time, transfers to mobility or range of motion in a dynamic task, say like a golf swing, so, versus where you're actually like working through a range of motion for let's say multiple reps. So you you can increase the mobility of your spine and shoulder and hips. But unless you integrate that and consciously try to use that, like to change, work with someone to change your swing, then you won't use what you end up uh, having. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's the, just the way motor learning works. You, you'll have the potential to move more, um, but unless you consciously try to change your swing and to use that newfound range, it, I don't think it'll come uh, automatically. I think you've got to consciously so- work on it. It, it may be a good idea when working on mobility to try and have our flexibility. Yeah. I know they're not the same thing, but I think for a lot of people, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a good idea potentially to have the brain involved so that you're always having, you're always feeding it into the movement that you're trying to improve. Yeah. And, and at the same, same way you, you could, I mean, you, if you, if you want to improve your mobility, just create your own stretch, mimic, your golf, your golf swing and get into those positions and probably yeah. load it up or have pull on something. <laughs> so that's, that's one of the things that I've kind of wrote about or, or suggested a few times that um, I'm sure you've seen people who do overspeed and overload training with, you know, golf implements that right. are slightly heavier and lighter trying to swing them as fast as they can. One of the things that I think it does that people don't realize awesome mobility training yeah, for sure because when you have a little radar behind you that's telling you how fast you go guess what you start searching for more range of motion yeah. in your hips your spine your shoulders to try and get the club head to move faster and you're getting way more mobile without really thinking about it and it's obviously working in a way that's like extremely closely linked to the movement you're trying to improve yeah and that'll work for a ton. I would only say there's be a, a subset like I'm like this. Like you, you might go to, you might just def- default to your normal movement pattern, and mm-hmm. and you may not like I wouldn't. I have to consciously choose to move through my hips more, right? So someone like that, it, yeah. it could be a little it, pull it back to the basics of just feeling where you're trying to stretch as well. So you, there's yeah. two. There's what you, there's two. That's like internal versus external cueing and all that stuff, and do them both. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, can you touch a little bit on like how stretching improves range of motion? So it's really neat. Uh, a lot of people, this is, this is again, where they were wrong, that, who were against stretching. They would say, oh, you shouldn't be stretching in a golfer because you want a very uh, stiff tendon because a stiff tendon will store this elastic energy. And that's how the golf swing works. You store up this passive energy in the tendons. They act like springs. And if people stretch, it'll cause those tendons to get too loose. And that isn't what happens. We don't, the stiffness of our tendons don't change. What seems to happen with long-term stretching is the muscle becomes a little bit less uh, stiff. 
like there's a mechanical change in the muscle. It's not a lot, but most of the changes that people get when they stretch is neurological, meaning some, they get comfortable moving into these new ranges of motion and it becomes easier uh, for them provided that it's almost like they regain their potential that they had when they were kids. It's a, more so than changes to the muscle tissue or say the muscle is getting long. Yeah, I, it's, it, the muscle does change a little. We didn't think it did. And now better research says it, it, it changes a little. But the primary change is, is in the nervous system. It's like your brain okay. lets you go farther. Like it'd be really interesting to do a study. If you test someone's range of motion during the golf swing, their rotation, and then knock them out. So they're just completely, you know, anesthetized and then see what their range of motion is. And that will tell you potentially what their, their potential is, but that would be an illegal study, (laughs) but I'd love to see Um, that. (laughs) A lot of people want to know stretching routines or ask about stretching routines that might help their recovery after playing golf or after working out. What does science say about the effect of stretching on recovery times? It's go lie on the couch. It, just, it says stretching doesn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew the answer to that one and I teed you up, but I wanted uh, people to hear it from someone that, that wasn't me and knew a lot more about it. I would say instead of stretching after your round, go to the, go to the range. <laughs> there you go. That's a better yeah. use of your time. Um, and, oh yeah. And then the, the last one stretching or, or improving range of motion. I don't want to limit it just down to stretching and yeah. reducing injury risk. Yeah. So sur- I mean, in, I don't think it's well studied in golf. There's no money in golf research for that stuff, but in general, uh, the, Stretching in general won't decrease injury risk, except in sports where it's ballistic activities and there are a high number of muscle strains. So there's about six papers where pre-activity stretching can decrease muscle strains in, in like ballistic sports. But I, and so I don't think people are really tearing muscles in golf, so it's not... It's it's not like tearing your hamstring in soccer or sprinting. And whatever way I think you look at, say, stretching for golf, it just makes way more sense to do your warm up where you're moving. Yeah, like do do something where you're preparing for the activity. I think is is the is the big one there. Yeah, for sure. That I would go that way. Um, la- last question, then, Greg. So stretching doesn't improve recovery times after golf or after working out what things do make a difference to how quickly someone recovers after they've done a round of golf or an exercise but what what things can they do let's say before the event uh, and after the event uh i'm a bit of a simpleton i i think it's not what you do after the event. It's that you've trained for a year before, like that you've consistently done good training. That's what prepares you to, to do more. Like we're not very good at speeding up recovery sleep, you know, a diet is important, but it, it seems like the window is bigger than we think. You know, you should certainly like, you're going to eat something. So don't worry about it. 
it just, it does, I know this is a bit debatable, but for my take on the literature, it doesn't really seem anything to do anything. I would say, let's say you had some, an injury and it's your club championship. Some people would say don't ice, but because it might influence um, the gains you'll make in the long term. But uh, in the short term, you could probably, if it's just your final club championship and it's just two days, two to four days, you could ice then. That, that would be about it. But you wouldn't want to do that on a regular basis after every round that you play. What about the things that are often touted <laughs> as being valuable for recovery, like Normatec boots, yeah. Terraguns, like massage, uh, uh, these things? Like, I know there's some old massage research where they'll, they'll surrogate measures of recovery, but it doesn't, like, you, you, they don't have good research because you can't have a sham massage. I do know, like, compression stockings, though, like, the in the running world, they don't do anything for any of that stuff, so... I don't know. Like the bot, the body just knows what it's doing. Uh, like so, the basics of just sleep and just being happy—that's all you need to do. Yeah, but the 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 real uh, recovery work is done before the event has ever started. Yeah, be in good condition for your activity. That's it. Yeah, for sure. Excellent, Greg. That was excellent stuff. Thank you very much. Can you provide some resources where people can find out more, maybe website, social media, and I'd also put them in the show notes. Uh, yeah, my website's just greglayman.ca and that's the uh, same with Twitter. And uh, my clinic website, I never talk about that, is movementoptimism.com. But, you know, sometimes do, uh, what do you call it, S- Skype. I like doing a lot of online treatment. Even for people in okay. Toronto, <laughs> like you don't have to come in. Yeah, just talking through options with things they have going on and what might be good strategies. Yeah, I do lots of treatment online. Yeah. Excellent. And uh, we just want to make sure, Greg, that when any um, online personalities are bringing up the swing mechanics related to why a golfer gets injured, everybody can tag you and you'll do the, debate. you, you'll do the debates online for us. Oh God, that, that debates, that's in every single field. It's not going anywhere. Um, no, I'm, I'm just joking. Greg, that's excellent. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to getting this episode out and thank you again for your time. All right, my pleasure.